This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equalizer podcast. My name is not Jeff Kasouf. I'm Rachel Krigger. Um, I'm not alone. I'm joined by friends um, over in Chicago. I have no idea what the weather's like over there. I hope it's a little bit warmer than it is in Pittsburgh, um, but it's not like a tundra here, so I'm being like over dramatic. Um, anyway, Claire Watkins, how are you doing? Hello, I'm good. Yeah, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. <laughs> Still relatively mild, I would say. Like in the 30s, 40s? Yeah, we're still still above, still above. Well, there was a cold snap, but as of right now, still above 30. So I'm counting my blessings for that. Yeah, that's good. We have like, we have like a stretch next week where it's like in the 40s here. And I'm just like, break out the shorts at this point, like bring it on. <laughs> um, so yeah, we have a, we have a cool show. Um, we were talking before we started recording a little bit about stuff and we were like, man, this episode is going to be kind of sad with our feelings on the NWSL draft and all the chaoticness that's going around that. But we are going to be talking about the NWSL draft. Um, if you didn't know, this is something that I just realized like three days ago. Um, they finally dropped the college part of the name. So instead of the NWSL college draft, it is just now the NWSL draft. So good job for making it short, sweet, and to the point. Um, and then later on in segment two, we're going to be talking about um, the U.S. Women's National Team camp that's coming up and then also some WSL updates. And I might have to be selfish and take like three minutes to talk about how excited I am that Liga Emeki's Feminile is back. Um, but why don't we just jump right into it? So the NWSL draft is on, um, Wednesday, the 13th at 7 PM. It's going to be streamed on Twitch. Um, and everything has just been shaken up and tossed aside and new rules are coming in. Um, uh, evidently there was lack of registration. So the NWSL said any, any collegiate senior is eligible to be drafted. Um, that goes in addition to, you know, um, non-seniors being allowed to register for the draft and, and whatnot. Um, we don't have a list yet that is supposed to be coming sometime this coming week. We'll see. Um, but so, Claire, um, anything you want to expound about those rules and just kind of your thoughts whenever you – saw what those role, those new roles were. Yeah. Um, the, I, this has been a really interesting week in me realizing like off and on that I do not understand the rules <laughs> to the draft. Um, so the timeline of this a little bit, just kind of in the, the rolling updates of stuff, you know, they, they announced that the Draft was going to be taking place in January still, even though um, the United Soccer Coaches Convention uh, has gone virtual. They got a waiver from the NCAA so that players that still want to play their spring seasons can um, declare for the draft and not give up their eligibility um, for that season. Then uh, they changed the rules so that you can give allocation money to the first pick in the draft. And still, it just seems like in whether it's an issue of communication or uncertainty, they were still not getting a lot of uh, a lot of players interested. And so they yeah, they changed it. They changed it so that you can be drafted even if you did not declare if you are a college senior. Um, and the rule that they did not change 
is that if your rights are picked up in the NWSL draft, that team holds your rights until the beginning of the following preseason. So if someone picks up a senior in this draft, that senior does not want to play for that team. Those rights are held until the beginning of the 2022 preseason. Um, and I, I, it's one of those complicated things where I think the NWSL is in a bad spot. Um, not of their making, obviously it's not their fault that 2020 kind of went the way that it did. This rule change has not been received well, I don't think, by the potential player pool. Um, and it feels like it's possible that they made a bad situation worse. Yeah, and something to remember, too, I, this just kind of clicked in my head, is the NCAA, at the beginning of what would have been a, you know, quote-unquote regular fall season, they allowed fall um, athletes for all sports to have an extra year of eligibility. So anybody right. so basically played, so the yeah. yeah exactly so the the NWSL rule change basically overruled that it like theoretically a player i guess could have be p- still playing in college next year if they do not declare for the draft and still have their rights held by a team mm-hmm. already yeah um, and those players didn't have to redshirt to kind of save that year of eligibility Right, exactly. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a – it's a mess. It's a mess. I mean, we we were passing around an article this morning that was written by um, Annie Costabile of the Chicago Sun-Times, and she spoke to um, Amanda Cromwell of, of UCLA, and she spoke to Mark Krikorian of Florida State. And the indication there is that players are a little bit confused <laughs> by what the rules are, um, that they – did a Zoom call with a league official, and that didn't really clear stuff up. Uh, Krikorian indicated that if he had some underclassmen who at the time were maybe thinking of going pro, they're not really thinking about doing that now. They've kind of been put off. They're going to sit sit tight and wait. Um, so, again, it's one of those things where it's you, – you have two sides of this where is it good for the NWSL if they do a four-round draft with 60 to 80 um, – and you know people entered no right that's not great but i think in trying to solve that problem they've created numerous other problems um and it's just as an optics and perception issue as well where i don't think that college players feel great about the idea that anybody can pick up their rights um i don't think that uh, players with options to go to Europe feel great about not doing that at this point. Um, it just kind of took some player choice away in a way that I think has kind of left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. And I just wonder, I wonder what things are going to look like when the draft actually occurs. And I wonder what the fallout will be afterwards. Yeah. One of the dates that, stuck out in the um, NWSL's press release is that they have until, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, the the 22nd of January to kind of make that decision if they're going to play in the NWSL, if they're going to go overseas, if they're going to do whatever they need to do. Now, you know, my question is, um, because I'm not going to lie, when I read the NWSL's um, release, I was like, whoa, word salad. I don't know what's going on here. Um, So if you know, because of that extra year of eligibility, if they select a senior who, you know, wants to go back and play in the fall because they can do that, you know, what kind of happens there? Do they get their rights whenever they're done with that fall season? Or like, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, as far as I understand it, that team holds their rights until the end of January, 2022. I mean, this is the, the, one of the things kind of sticking in my head is, is this idea that, okay, if this has to be this way, why would you not shorten the protected period to end of season, like end of 2021 season so that at least a player can have a normal off season or even possibly, you know, re-enter the draft. I think it's just one of those things where it's giving teams too much control while also not necessarily even encouraging those players to play in the league. Um, yeah, I think and it's it also for re-entering, I think that's why they're doing it. They don't want players to be in a draft, you know, 
two years in a row. I feel like they think that that's, you know, I can't speak for the NWSL, but I feel like their mindset is, you know, if they're in one draft, they can't be in another draft. Right. I, I think you're right. And I think that, um, again, it's one of those things where it's like, would that be so bad? What, right. what are we creating here in order to stop other things from occurring? Um, and I think also, you know, it's, it was, I was thinking about this this morning. Um, just, I keep going back to the trade that Chicago did with sky blue, where Chicago got two players for two first round draft picks um, in this year's draft. And that was a couple weeks ago. Uh, and I think that it's a little bit of a canary in a coal mine when, when Rory Dames hops on a call and says, yeah, I have no idea what's going on with this draft. It's too risky to hold on to picks. You can't build a team around it um, because he knows the draft. He knows the college game and he knows the draft, you know, better than just about anybody else. So um, I think that him trading out, you know, Chicago had four first round picks at one point, him trading out and now them only holding one, I think was an indication that he had been talking to some people and he didn't think that the prospects were great at that same, at around that same time, people thought, oh, but it's so possible that, you know, people are having conversations uh, with U.S. soccer players who are trying to get into that U.S. women's national team player pool, like Jalen Howell or Naomi Girma or obviously you have Macario, um, maybe they still will do this because a U.S. contract is worth it. Uh, and yet it appears that that even, this is just still too much of a mess for that pull to even really be there. So um, I think that what's going to happen is I think you're going to have teams that do their draft homework really well and, and speak to players and speak to coaches and, and are kind of entrenched in that. I think it'll be really interesting to see who they pick or what they do. Um, and then I think you're going to have some teams see some names that are theoretically available, grab those. Uh, and I think that's where it gets messy. So I think when you have some, a team like Louisville that has this first round pick or first, first pick in the draft, uh, which is supposed to be really valuable. Um, and you have a lot of players that do not uh, declare, they have a choice to make. You know, do they grab a, a player whose who's rights are very valuable? Do they go for someone that they know will play for them right away? I think Louisville is in danger of not having enough physical bodies Yeah, um, exactly. in terms of how they handle the expansion draft too. So it's very complicated. And I think the teams right now, with the most picks in that first round are not necessarily teams that are expected to not take those big swings because they need, they need good players. They need players. So I'm really interested to see kind of what happens. Yeah. Don't even get me started on the way Louisville handled that expansion draft. We'd be here for probably an hour. Um, I feel bad for the players too. The ones that like, you know, I, I, let me put it, this way. I feel bad for all the players because, you know, 2020 was, you know, terrible and it was so unfair. Some of them got to play, some of them didn't. And even the ones that did get to play, it was like, you know, all the, you know, stuff they had to go through. I mean, I'm here in Pittsburgh and, you know, we have our team, the Pittsburgh Panthers and like, just talking to the players, they were like, you know, we're, we're tired. We're exhausted. So I feel bad for all the players, but I really, really, really feel bad for the ones that, you know, registered for the draft and had full intention of getting drafted. And now with this open rule, there could be other players that don't even want to be drafted that are getting picked. And it's like those, those players that actually wanted it. And then now are kind of maybe find themselves on the outside looking in. It's like, wow, you know, we actually wanted to get drafted. We wanted to play in the NWSL and now we just got to figure out what's next. So I feel bad for all the players, but that's one situation that, you know, I just, I can't imagine what's going through their minds with all the uncertainty. Like 2020 gave us so much uncertainty. Did, did, did we really need any more of it? Right. Um, <laughs> you know, these, these players, I mean, they bust their butts off for, you know, their collegiate teams and, you know, they have this dream of going pro and, you know, maybe there's some senior players who are like, yeah, I want to go pro, but maybe I want to do it over in, you know, Europe with France or, or whatever. Um, 
So yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, yeah, it's, I think you're, I, I totally agree. And, and that is also a good perspective to say, I understand why players would want to go back for the spring season if they didn't get to play in the fall. I understand why players who even did get to play in the fall would want to come back if there is a championship tournament, if there is an NCAA tournament this spring. I get that, um, especially because, you know, this is a conversation we have every year. What is the monetary value of an NWSL contract? Uh, what team is it that you are drafted by? Do you want to join them right away? Is that what's best for you? Um, but I understand people who want to properly finish as best they can their college careers. Um, and I also, that's what question that I have that I have to assume is also true is if you get drafted, I have to think that if you are drafted in this year's draft, um, you will probably have two different contract offers on the table in terms of what monetary compensation you get for this particular season based on when you join the team, right? You would think that that would be a negotiation that you have to have with that NWSL team. And I wonder if that happens in that week um, in between being drafted and, and deciding what you're going to do. Um, and it's a conflict of interest a little bit because you have players that really want to finish their senior seasons. Some of those are very important players to those college teams. I think that you have players that understand that they're really hurting their team's chances if they, if they leave to go pro right away. And those are the, those are the players that teams are going to, that NWSL teams are going to want to, to have for preseason and for the challenge cup. Um, that's another thing that Roy Dame said is that one of the things about this draft is you have to figure out, do I need a player right now? Or do I have a player that I'm willing to wait until May for, but also uh, it's tough to go into a pro season without a preseason. I think that that is a very difficult road to walk as well. Um, and so I, I agree that players are in a tough spot. I think teams are in a tough spot. Um, you know, maybe this is a good way to, to pivot over into Katarina Macario, you know, announced yesterday that she was foregoing that spring season at Stanford to go pro. I don't think that was an easy decision for her. She loves that team. She loves playing for Stanford. Um, but you know, you kind of have to do the right thing at the right time for your career. And as we said, the NWSL is, is forcing some hands and I, I, you know, maybe that's not bad. Maybe it's better just to know what's going on, even if the answer isn't what you're looking for. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough all around. There are some really um, savvy people on social media that have picked up that, oh, would you look at that? There's, there's higher ups from Leon that are following her and she's following them on Twitter and, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, at first, I think the press release from Stanford said something about the NWSL draft, and then it reworded to say that, you know, she's just going professional. So there's um, and, and she signed with an a, um, an agency that represents a lot of European players. So there's a lot of talk to, you know, is she going to go to Europe and, you know, go for the money and go for one of those big, big name teams? Or is she going to stay and, and take the chance in the NWSL draft and and get drafted so um if you're louisville louisville sorry if you're louisville louisville (laughs) rossing louisville do you take katarina macario slash katarina macario's rights that is a very good question um so my my thoughts on this are many um yeah i am of the opinion that I, I think there's no chance that she is playing in the NWSL in 2021. I think that um, she signed with A&V Sports. Like you said, they, are, they have connections in Europe. They're an agency that makes European deals. I think she's going to France. Um, I think that I have to imagine that part of that was because the Stanford option was kind of taken away from her, but that's just speculation. Um, so do you take her? So uh, first first things first, I want to kind of outline some of the M- Macario issues, the inherent Macario issues in the NWSL based on NWSL rules that are even more than just um, the draft existing, which is, so Macario, you know, they change these rules so that the first pick in the draft can be um, eligible for allocation money. Uh, we also saw that the allocation limit was raised to $400,000 this year. I have to imagine 
that a player like Macario, who knows her worth and has the ability to negotiate a European contract for six figures, is going to want to get a significant amount of that allocation money if she were to enter the NWSL draft. Mm -hmm. Um, Louisville currently holds that pick. So if any other team in the NWSL wanted to get that pick, they not only would have to negotiate with Louisville to give Louisville what they think they should be getting back in terms of value and sign up for a lot of allocation money in wages. That opens up an issue for teams with U.S. players. I'm not entirely sure at this moment how you can say, like, if Chicago had been like, we're going for Macario, we're going to give her $250,000 in allocation money. I'm not entirely sure how you explain that to Julie Ertz, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a complicated thing even outside of the draft existing, which is that it's very much not an NWSL kind of play to spend that much money on a rookie attacking player. That's just not what a lot of these teams do when they build their rosters. So there are comp- there were complications to the Macario thing outside of the idea that she just doesn't want to go through the draft, which I don't think is necessarily true. I think that there's just a lot of um, factors. So you're Louisville. You took some rights in the expansion draft. Uh, some of those players, Alana Kennedy has already said that she's staying, um, at Tottenham until May. So, you know, that at least one of those players for sure will not be playing for you until May. Um, and you are looking at the declared list and maybe it's not as strong as you'd hoped. I don't know. I think I take a player that's going to play for me right now. I don't think I do that. I think if a team is going to take Katarina Macario's rights, I just, I don't know if they will. I would not do that before the second round, at least. I think you have to, you have to want players who want to play for you. That goes a long way. And I think that you just kind of have to get over maybe what your hopes and dreams were for, for this particular draft class and pick. There are going to be some good players who are actual seniors who actually will play in the NWSL in 2021. And I think you have to take one of those players if you're Louisville. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm I'm picking a player that is going to play for me in, you know, come to preseason, get the ball rolling and play for me at what the Challenge Cup comes first. Um, play for me when that Challenge Cup kicks off. So, I mean, like like we were talking about before we even started recording, you know, Emily Fox is a player that is actually a senior. Like she was going to be coming into this draft no matter what, I think maybe you go for her. I mean, there's a lot of collegiate talent that I think registered and is good. Um, the, those seniors that are um, actually seniors that are willing and ready to go into the NWSL, I think that there are pieces you can find. And I mean, there are, there are those diamond in the rough picks because, I mean, heck, I didn't know who Addison Merrick was before the Challenge Cup in the fall series, and she turned out to be a fantastic defender for um, for North Carolina, and now she is with Louisville. So I think, yeah, picking Macario's rights is not something in good faith I would do if I'm Christy Hawley in, in Louisville. Um, but if she does go to Lyon... I think the rain have to be somewhat smiling because, you know, they could always, she could always come in on loan during the summer. Um, she's still making the money through, um, through Leon, but she would be coming into the States. Um, kind of like, um, oh, what's her name from the U.S. Women's National Team? She did that with PSG, Alana Cook. Um, mm-hmm. so I think that's something that, you know, if, if she does sign with Leon, I think the rain have to lick their chops a little bit. Um, definitely. Yeah. Um, and that's interesting too, right? Because (laughs) the NWSL comes up with these draft rules and these parody rules, and there's still probably going to be ways to get around that anyway. So, um, it, it, yeah, the rain, the bit rain's biggest issue with Macario right now is the salary cap. It's more just, um, what deal can you do to make it worth her while financially to play in the States? Mm -hmm. Um, but to flip it. So, so question, question for you, I, I, I asked this on Twitter and, and I got a pretty, definitive answer but I'm curious how you feel about this is say the draft doesn't exist right so we're in a we're in a world where the NWSL looks a little bit more like some of these European leagues 
where imagine like the rain or Portland are able to compile these super teams. There are some haves and some have nots. Um, would you rather a player like Macario be able to do that here? Or do you think that the parody, the competitive, the competitive parody is worth it to maybe lose a player like that for however many years? That's a good question. I think you always want to keep the talent home, um, especially since she is on the path to joining the U.S. Women's National Team. Um, mm, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I'd keep her here. If, if there's no, like, if, if there's no draft and, like, everybody gets to be a free agent and you can just, you know, build these super teams and, and toss money however way you want, um, yeah, I mean, I'd keep her here. I would. I think a lot of teams would – really fight for a player like that. And I know that the conversation is, and and you mentioned this when talking about allocation money, she's a rookie. Why would you throw these, you know, six figure dollars at her? Well, she might be a rookie, but she's pretty good. I mean, I don't think that's, that's something that's going to be highly contested about. Um, there are players like that who are really good and who deserve that money right out of the gate because they have, something to show for it. Um, but to answer your question, I would keep her here. And I think a lot of teams would really, really, really fight to keep her in the States and, and get her on their team. Yeah, I feel similarly. I think um, I've always enjoyed the draft. Honestly, I think that there are, there's value to forcing teams to be smart. I like that. I like, I think it's interesting, but um I think, and this was this was kind of the feedback that I got from fans too, which is just, I think you just want a player like that to be able to play in, in her home country in front of, of fans. Um, one of the downsides for, I think, you know, you talk about is does the NWSL lose how we worry about the player? We want the player to be happy. But American fans lose out on this because if she does go to the French League, that's not even a league that's particularly easy to watch on TV. Right. She kind of goes out of sight, out of mind if she if she moves over there. So um, it, it's a it's it's too bad that this is a situation where American fans can't go to a game and see a player like that play, even if it's not for quote unquote their team. That's what fans were saying as well. Is basically just like I would like to, even if she's on a team that is beating my team very badly. I would just like to see it in front of me. And then the other mm -hmm. thing too, in terms of super teams is the only other issue here is in terms of, of desirable teams and teams that players want to play for. And the idea of competitiveness is you want to also be a little bit careful in terms of development. And I'm sure this is something that Vladko Andonovsky and, and Kate Margraf have, have talked to Macario about, which is you saw, we saw, this is actually a similar situation to what we saw with Jesse Fleming last year. She did not declare for the draft. She um, went over eventually to, to the WSL. She plays for Chelsea. She doesn't play very much. Um, and, and so right. when you do join these rosters that are uncapped, you have to be careful as a young player because you might end up, you're going to be in a great training environment, one of the best training environments in the world, but are you getting game time and are you getting competitive game time? Um, and so I think that that has to be a consideration as well, because maybe Katarina Macario doesn't want to play for Louisville, but if she did, she would be playing every minute for him. Right. And she would be in a leadership role and she would be the face of that team. And that's a different challenge and, and a different side of development that making that jump, um, over to France might not necessarily, uh, get her. Yeah. Good point. I mean, the biggest thing. I don't even think that if she joins the French League, I don't think that all of a sudden they should. These TV stations are going to be like, all right, we need to get weekly every every single game for Lyon on TV or some streaming service. I think it's going to take some time to build up like it did for the WSL. I don't think that's right. I think that, you know, give me all of the women's soccer on the planet. Um, but yeah, to your point of being able to watch it. Yeah. I mean, if she goes to France, when do you get to watch her champions league? That's pretty much it. Um, unless you can figure out your own way to get 
watching the um, French League, then feel free to send me a link. But I just don't think for visibility, that's even something that, you know, the national team coaches are going to have an easy time getting. Like, they're going to have to go through the teams and get film from them because there's really just no way to watch it. So I think that it's a it's a really tricky issue because you want the player to be happy, but then it's like, oh, man, that stinks for us. Like, we can't even watch her. Um yeah, that, and that's something that, that's something it's, it's kind of in line with, um, what happened with the Australia, with the Matildas, with the Australian players. One of the thoughts that just always went in my head when all of the Matildas went over to those European teams is like, man, Australian fans used to get to see these players play in their summer league every week and, and represent their cities. And now that is, that's just not even possible anymore. They only get to watch them. Um, on TV or, or online. And I think that you are really losing something and it, it's too bad, especially when I do think that the NWSL is such a strong league that you're forcing fans to have to make that deal, you know? And I think that um, that's a stewardship issue in terms of, of those in charge of what is supposed to be a very strong uh, domestic, domestic league here. Mm-hmm. Before we move on, I, I do have another question for you, but I want to preface it um, with the fact that every year when the drafts all roll around, I just take a minute to step back and look at how the NWSL is held up to this really high standard because a lot of these players do end up signing um, ro- you know, contracts and they're on rosters and they're actually competing for minutes and, and stuff like that. And they, you know, sometimes they can be starters, sometimes they're not. Um, but then I look at the MLS super draft too, and that's basically like, okay, maybe your first five picks are going to play on an MLS team. And then the rest are getting shipped to USL clubs to get minutes. So I always look at these drafts and I think like, wow, NWSL draft is really important every single year. And it's so much, um, it's so much, I don't, I don't know if better is the right word, but there's more, there's more happening in the sense of, you know, players are going to get that chance to play in the first tier league than with the MLS draft and, you know, shipping those players off to the USL. So with that said, I know a lot of people, um, a lot of people that we either write with or we're in the women's soccer reporter community with, they say, you know, get rid of the draft altogether. Abolish the draft. We don't want it anymore. Let these players just be free agents and go to town. Are you with that or are you saying, no, let's keep the draft? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think that. I think that there should be other ways to enter the league. I know that's something that the league is actually working on in terms of a homegrown player rule. Lisa Baird has said um, before that she wants uh, the league's development system to be competitive with the college system. Um, I think it's funny that, that the NWSL took college out of, out of the draft name, because I think that that's what it should be. I think if we get to the point where, are players that have other avenues to, to professionalism who are not going through the college system, have a college draft. That's fine. You know, have, have seniors who want to get picked up and and fight for a roster spot, uh, go through that. I think that's good. I think that also still encourages some parity because if you have, it is that idea of if you have some teams that the best players are less interested in playing for, they can still pick up. I th- believe so much in the, in the U S women's player pool, there are good players that, that fall to the second and third round of, of each draft. And so have those players go first, have those become the people that build, you know, the numbers of your roster. I just think that there should be other options. I think that there are sh- that for players that are, that have that high market value, I think forcing them into this one entry point um, that you will always at this point end up losing to Europe. Um, The way the NFL and the NBA are able to run their drafts and stuff like that are because they don't have global competition. And that's just not true for the NWSL. So I say, keep the draft, keep the college draft. Um, I think that 
players deserve it. Players that are on that bubble that are those kinds of diamonds in the rough. Um, but figure out a different kind of discovery list or free agency list for players that want to enter that too, because I think that um, there have to be more, there have to be more options, I think. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think keep the draft, but, you know, maybe widen the door a little bit to the uh, to the house of the NWSL in layman's yeah, terms. Exactly. <laughs> in layman's terms. So the NWSL draft is on Wednesday at 7 p.m., a little bit different than years past because um, now everything is virtual. It's going to be at night. Um, so 7 p.m., they're live streaming it on Twitch. Um, they just announced – Two, actually, I, I just remembered this. The talent that is um, doing the draft is um, Lori Lindsay, Jen Cooper. I'm missing somebody. Marissa Pilla, um, and then Jordan Angeli is doing the um, the interviews, like quote unquote the sideline reporting. Um, so that's exciting. And then they're also going to have like cross. Um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. They're inviting people from different leagues to come in. Brianna Stewart is one of them. Claire, you, you mentioned somebody else is coming in. Yeah, they're, I think they're going to have someone from, I, I forget who exactly, someone from the WTA. Uh, a ten, they're, they're combining with tennis as well. Yeah, so there's going to be a lot of different um, sports coming together for this one sport. Um, so Wednesday, 7 p.m., Twitch, don't miss it. Um, we'll have coverage here at Equalizer Soccer, of course. Um So stay tuned for that. But that's it for segment one. We will see you back for segment two. And we're going to talk about U.S. Women's National Team and some European stuff. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Equalizer podcast. Want to make sure that you're also aware of the Equalizer's other podcast called Kicking Back, which I host. I'm your host, Jeff Kasouf. Each week, I speak with a player, coach, personality from across the world of women's soccer for insight into their career and some current events. It's a nice, casual conversation, hence we're kicking back. Recent guests have included Vladko Andonovsky, Christy Mewis talking about her comeback to the U.S. national team, Jen Hildreth, the voice of the NWSL, Kelly Simmons from the FAWSL, Vero Bocchette, and recently Heather O'Reilly. Really great conversations on kicking back. So if you like the Equalizer podcast, please go ahead and listen to kicking back. Find us on any podcast platform, including the one you're listening to right now. We have a couple more great shows planned for the end of the year and a lot more planned for 2021. Now let's get back to the Equalizer podcast. Welcome back to segment two of the Equalizer podcast. A quick reminder here, uh, please check us out on the web by going to EqualizerSoccer.com or for premium content, you can go to EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe. Um, we are also on social media at Equalizer Soccer on Twitter and by search through Facebook. Um, also, we're on Instagram with the username um, at Equalizer underscore soccer. If you like what you hear on the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Equalizer podcast today. So we are back for segment two. And this time we're going to talk a little bit about the WSL and we're going to talk about um, – the U.S. Women's National Team camp and, and roster and their friendlies against Columbia that are coming up. And then I'm going to praise and talk super happily and end this podcast on a very fun note about Liga Emeki's, um feminine coming back. Well, I guess that's back in action since they kicked off this past weekend. Um, so first and foremost, the WSL, they are still in full swing. Lots of stuff happening, but there's a lot of postponements going on. Um, and one team in particular decided to let some players travel all the way to Dubai in the middle of a pandemic, which was probably not great. Um, so, Claire, you know yeah. this stuff better than me because I'm not going to lie. I will fully put my hand up and say I'm a bad women's soccer supporter because these games are way too early for me. I like my sleep and I hardly ever watch the WSL. So take it away. Yeah. So, right. So the WSL took a holiday, they took a break over the holidays. Um, and some teams, and this is also, you know, the, the situation in terms of, of lockdown, in the UK are they, it changes a lot. They do different 
areas of the country are in different levels of lockdown, different tiers. Um, so nobody, nobody broke any government rules, but um, you had some teams let players go home. I mean, as we know, uh, like Manchester City let Rose Lavelle and, and Sam Mewis go back to the States. They're, they stayed there. They're going to stay for January camp. Um, so within that kind of blanket permission to go see family um, over the holidays, some players uh, took what they have, they uh, assert are business trips to Dubai. Um, and some of those players posted on social media. Uh, some of those players did not. I think it's it's an ongoing thing where originally people thought maybe four or five players from one particular team um, went, and then it's been kind of shown that actually some players from quite a few different teams went, just some people didn't post about it. Um, and it has resulted in some some COVID outbreaks in, in a variety of different teams. I think Everton's having trouble, um, Manchester United, uh, Manchester City, um, and, and Arsenal. And I don't, I, I have to admit, I, I don't know exactly which teams are dealing with COVID outbreaks, but those are all teams that have kind of been implicated in this idea of, of these trips. Uh, Manchester United manager Casey Stoney um, publicly apologized for letting her players travel this week. Um, she said that in the, in the wording of that, of that uh, statement, it maybe indicated that when she told players they could go home, she did not mean a business trip to Dubai. Um, so it's a little bit of a scandal. It's a little bit of a mess. Uh, I know that there's been a lot of conversation about, you know, the idea of, of these players not feeling like that was an, an issue to go do that. Did they let their teams down? Did they let their communities down? Um, what do these players owe um, their fans. It's, it's a whole big conversation about that, but um, it's resulted in quite a few, yeah, WSL postponement postponements, um, which is also just kind of scary because as we're seeing, even players that are not traveling, that have done nothing wrong, are, are having trouble um, with, with this new variant, this new more contagious variant of the virus. And so you have to wonder a little bit, man, is, is this as a winter league playing games throughout this winter, um, are they going to make it through, you know, is, is the competition going to be able to continue? Uh, and you're even seeing it on the men's side as well. So I, it, it's a, it's a tough situation that the WSL finds it, it finds itself in part of that is due to bad behavior. Part of it is just due to the fact that this is a tough thing to maneuver, especially this time of year. Um, and yeah, it's all just a little bit, it's just kind of sad because, you know, we haven't had any, any, you know, women's soccer for a while. And this was going to be the WSL's big return and uh, almost all of the games got, got postponed. And then the other thing, the other point of conversation is, is the idea of postponement, what the FA rules for postponement are, and are these top clubs getting preferential treatment? Um, FA would say no. Uh, but Brighton had a COVID outbreak earlier this season, and they had to play through it. So um, there's that question as well. So it's like, are we coddling players? Are we coddling these top teams? What are the what are the expectations for players? What are the expectations for teams? And who is at fault? Mm -hmm. um, which kind of reminds me of a little conversation that we had here in the states uh, about the Orlando Pride uh, before the Challenge Cup. And so I'm like, wow, we just really haven't learned a ton, have we? Um, and I also want to say, I, and I've said this, I've said this to, to people, but I want to say it here too, that I, I'm under no illusion that, um, American players are being perfect right now too. I think that the NWSL, um, is very fortunate that they do not have to report positive tests right now. Um, they're lucky that they're a summer league right now. Yeah. So this weekend, there's only going to be one game that is played in the WSL. Um, it was just announced that. Bristol City and Brighton Hove are postponing as well. So Reading and Chelsea will compete tomorrow Eastern time at 9 a.m. Um, for Claire and our friends in the Midwest, it is 8 a.m. So you would have to wake up a little bit earlier than me on, on that one. Um, so moving on then from the WSL, the U.S. Women's National Team announced a 27-player roster for their upcoming January camp, the we have um, the roster and, and um, a little bit 
from the media call with Flacco Adonofsky all on our website. Um, so be sure to check that out. But there's 27 players called into camp and different from the usual um, January camps, there is going to be two friendlies against Columbia. Um, to backtrack for a minute, the whole camp is being held in Orlando, Florida. The games are going to be held at Exploria Stadium, of course, home of the Pride and Orlando City SC. Um, and the games against Columbia are January 18th and 22nd. So, um, Claire, uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording the second segment about some interesting points on the roster and then just with this January camp in general. There's usually, you know, like I said, there's usually never friendlies at the end. It's usually strictly training. Um, last year was interesting in the sense of Vlako Andonovsky had that December camp where he was kind of pulling in all of these non-allocated, these um, NWSL players and um, just kind of looking and see where they were at. And then he brought a couple of those players into the January camp this year. He's, he's got some players that are um, coming back into the national team picture, like Megan Rapino and Carly Lloyd, um, Allie Krieger and Ashlyn Harris are going to be on the roster. I don't think they were on um, a roster at all in 2020. I think I read that somewhere. Um, so there's a mix of young and old, um, there's some collegiate players, um, Katarina Macario's on the roster, Jalen Howe from Florida State, and Emily Fox from UNC, who has been in the national team picture before, but she had that knee injury in early 2020, late 2019, so now she's back into the picture as well. Um, so just kind of your thoughts on the roster, and then you've got a little defensive battle to talk about. Yeah, um, this, I, I... <laughs> I would say this roster is not particularly exciting, but there is some interesting stuff in there. Um, I think that, I think though, obviously we are kind of tightening the group in terms of who is really being considered for, for the uh, 18 player Tokyo roster. Um, obviously for players like Megan Rapino and Carly Lloyd, there's probably just going to be, and this is what January camp is usually used for. There's fitness checking, um, just kind of sharpness checking, this is the NWSL off season. This is them kind of just getting back in the swing of things. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of, of players that I think what I'm watching, what I'm looking for, I guess, in these games is in the back. I think, I think a thing to keep an eye on is um, it, players like Tierna Davidson and Emily Sonnet. I think that those two are, are probably competing for one defensive roster spot. And I'm very interested to see where Davidson's fitness is. She, you know, she's been on some U.S. rosters in 2020. She hasn't gotten a lot of game time. Her injury from late 2019, I think, was kind of hurting her off and on throughout the year. So very interested to see where she is fitness-wise and if she gets playing time um, against Columbia. And... But yeah, the rest of it, you know, Kristen Press is not on this roster. Tobin Heath is not on this roster. I think that they are, those two are definitely going to Tokyo. So um, we'll just have to see. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised. I am and am not surprised they're playing games um, just in the context of them not getting very many games last year. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what they're going to learn from these games. And uh, I definitely am on the side of, it just seems like a huge, huge risk to continue to be doing international competitions um, while the pandemic is at its, at its worst that, as it's ever been in this country. So um, some mixed feelings about this one, I think. Yeah. And it's a risk for Columbia too. I mean, th that's a team that, listen, I mean, <laughs> if I'm any international player and I see what's going on in the United States, not even just from the pandemic standpoint, but with all the chaos that happened this past week, at the Capitol and just seeing how everything is, oh, what's the right word for this? Um, everything is just kind of, it's not calm. It's very unrest. It's very unruly. I mean, I wouldn't be a hundred percent comfortable coming to the U S and playing in this game. I would definitely not be coming to be comfortable going to Florida where the you know, rules have been a little bit lax on, on, a, on the coronavirus. So it's a risk for everyone. And I think that, you know, Columbia, they're in the same boat. 
They want to get minutes. They want to see where their players are at. They want to, you know, kind of just test and tinker around with some things. But I still think it's, you know, it's a tremendous risk for the the players, of course, for the national for the U.S. women's national team. But it's a big risk too um, for Colombia because those Colombian players too are going to be traveling um, a heck of a lot further than these U.S. players. Um, so that's something that kind of stuck out to me too. But I think yeah. you know competition-wise, the only thing that I really want to see from the U.S. women's national team in these games is, you know, we know what Alyssa Nair can do. I think that's pretty much, you know, she's she's your number one. That's it. There's really no questions asked, right, at least right now. I would like to see, you know, Aubrey Bledsoe and Jane Campbell kind of get into the mix there and maybe get a, an, a, an appearance or two under their belt, especially Bledsoe because I don't think she's capped yet. Um, so I really want to see that happen more than anything. I think your um, point about Davidson and Sauna is really good. I think that the defense, there's so many question marks because, you know, the forever question comes up that, oh, you could still play done in a midfield position. She doesn't have to be a defender. That's always going to be on everybody's mind. Um, but like you said, I mean, the rosters, when, when it came out, I was like, eh, yeah, it's a typical U.S. women's national team roster. So, right. and I think... I think that's the way it's going to be until maybe after the Olympics when Vlako Andonovsky has that um, that period of time before qualifying for the World Cup and then the actual World Cup where he can kind of where he can actually kind of tinker with these different things and these different yeah and these different players. The one the one other thing too is um, the one continuous exciting point is I know that there you know there was a lot of conversation when Christy Mewis was added to um, to a couple U.S. rosters last year about whether this was just kind of a job well done call up or if this was more of a we're really considering you for this team um, and she got another one I think that that is also that is an exciting point for me I guess is that I think that Christy Mewis back on the U.S. is a real deal situation. And I don't know if it's enough to, to make the 18 for the Olympics, but she's really a part of that player pool again now. Um, and I think that that is, that's very exciting as well. I feel um, the and same then just, way. Yeah. Oh, sorry. oh, no, I'm sorry. I feel the same way about Alana, Alana cook too, because I feel like for the longest time, Europe got an, ignored unless it was like an established U S women's national team player going over. Um, because I, I mean, I will always be on the forever hype train of Gina Lewandowski, and she should have gotten more call-ups when she was playing for Bayern. Um, but Europe was pretty much ignored for the NWSL, and now with Alana Cook, it's not just, oh, well, Kristen Press and Tobin Heath and Alex Morgan and, um, and um, you know, Sam Mewis and Rose Lavelle, they're over there, so now we have to start paying attention. It's, well, you know, there's this talent that has been there for a while, and she's doing really good things over there. Let's pay attention to that type of player too, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I think with Cook as well, and, and this is something, it's funny, we, we talked, we went long uh, in the first segment about communication and, and the lack of that from the NWSL side, but I think that Vlako Andonovsky has clearly done a good job of being in contact uh, with players who will want to play for this team. You know, you talk about Cook, who is eligible to play for England. Um, right when Vladko got the job, he was in contact with her. He he said, you know, we want you in this player pool. She's not cap tied yet, so she still has options. But he communicated to her that she was in future plans and got a great player out of it. And then we talk about that with Macario, too. Um, Macario is still not necessarily being eligible to play in these games. Um, but immediately uh, the U S was always in contact with her. The moment she was able to really start training with the full team, they had her do that. Um, and that's good. That's good stewardship of your player pool. That is saying, you know, we are the best team in the world. We know people want to play for this team, but we're not just going to kind of hang them out to dry and let them wander and, and work on their own. We're going to be in contact with them. We're going to not make promises, but give encouragement and give them reason to believe that they have a shot here. Um, and they'll respond by, you know, working very hard and playing for us. So I think that that is another really positive thing that we've seen out of this past year, despite the fact that the U S hasn't spent a ton of time together. Um, but the other thing, you know, the one other thing is, and I, I you got to say this 
first and foremost, which is just, I think the games will be fine. I think that the players will hopefully be fine. Um, I don't think that having fans in Florida is a great idea. Um, and and I, I would say that in terms of these games and the fact that they're going to have, probably going to have She Believes in Florida, because it's like one of the only places they're allowed to do the things that they want to do. Um, I, I, I worry not about the players so much, but I just worry about the community surrounding the, the stadium and the community surrounding uh, these games, because are you encouraging fans to travel to these games? Because the U S is a national property. You know, you could have people flying to Florida to, to go see these games. And you're right that the rules are a little bit more lax in terms of community spread. And, I'm not entirely sure what the community benefit, if you did a community benefit analysis of these games, what that is and what risk are you opening up to Orlando in general um, by doing this? And, you know, you can't, can't tell people what to do. It is allowed just like traveling to Dubai was allowed. Um, But yeah, what do you owe? What do you owe to that, to that city? And what do you owe to your fans um, I saw that the American Outlaws, they reiterated that they're not participating in any official um, live uh, events until they feel that it's safe. Uh, that is still true for these U.S. games. Um, yeah, so it's just that that one's a complicated thing, too, because I think it's also going to be a little bit tough because you're the games are going to feel normal. They're going to feel normal on TV. The U.S. will play. The U.S. will probably win both games. We'll see some players get some time. We'll see faces that we're used to. And at the end of it, it might have ended up being a really dangerous thing to do with not a ton of benefits. So um, I have mixed feelings about it, I think. I think you you speak for me too when you say all of that stuff. So good stuff there, um, for sure. Anything else that you think we should add about the U.S. Women's National Team? Um, I think I think we pretty much covered it all. No, I think that's it. I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's good. This is going to feel pretty, pretty average, pretty normal. I think that things will get more interesting um, when she believes rolls around. For sure. I couldn't agree more. These matches are going to be January um, 18th and January 22nd. That's a Monday and a Friday. Um, They're both at 7 p.m. Eastern time. So be on the lookout for for that in the TV listings and and whatnot. Um, Before we close out the show, I'm going to talk about Liga Emekis Femenil and how excited I am that it's back because the Klausora is is back. Um, That's the second part of the uh, Liga Emekis season. The Apertura is the first part. Um, So every team pretty much new slate for this second half of the season. Um, the action started back up, I believe, on Thursday. Um, there's a bunch of games happening this past weekend, so we'll be sure to you know, update everybody on what's going on. I've just recently talked to Jeff, and I'm going to be covering uh, Liga Emekis Femenil in the same way that um, Tim Graney covers um, the W League and Emily Dolhanty covers uh, the WSL, kind of these short mini recaps of each game all compiled into one. So be on the lookout for that um, this coming week. Um, But there are some ways to watch it. It's, you know, like some of these um, non-American, these international leagues, they're not always the easiest to watch. If you do have Fubo TV though, there are, they usually play about two or three games um, during um, a a match day weekend. So, um, be sure to check the listings for that. If you have that, um, if you have um, TUDN, uh, Univision, they usually have some games playing as well. So um, if you get the, if you get the chance, it's a really good league. It's an up and coming league. There, um, most of the players, um, like ninety nine point nine percent of the players, are Mexican internationals. They have one player. Um, I don't remember which team, so I will fact check myself and have. Um, our awesome producer put it in the notes. There's one player that um, decided to represent Colombia. So um, there's one international player currently in the league and they are, they have been discussing potentially opening it up to um, other international players as well. So that's something that we'll have to keep a lookout on as well too. Um, but Liga Emekis Femenil is back for the class aura. So 
if you get a chance, watch the games. They're really entertaining. They're really fun. Um, and I know I'm supposed to be biased, but let's go Tijuana. So going to end on that <laughs> note. <laughs> I yeah. I, I well, I, I just want to, yeah, I just want to co-sign all of that. Yeah. Uh, Liga MX Femenil is one of the best soccer entertainment products out there. So if you can check it out, there are always also some intrepid viewers who, uh, who find ways to put some YouTube streams up, uh, for the, for the bigger wink, games wink. as well. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> wink, wink on that one. <laughs> but um, so that's it for us for the Equalizer podcast. Remember, don't forget to um, rate, review, subscribe to the show. Um, we will be rolling out lots of fun content ahead of the U.S. Women's National Team matches this coming week. So be sure to keep an eye out on that over at EqualizerSoccer.com. Um, and don't forget to subscribe to the site as well. All right, for myself, for Claire Watkins, For our producer, Jacqueline Purdy, we are out and we'll see you next time. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.